Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, several organizations in Utah, including the Rape Recovery uh, Center and Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault, recently hosted a town hall conversation focusing on the impact and future of the Me Too movement. Organizers say it's time for Utahns to come together to discuss the future of our community, to give survivors an opportunity to find what progress looks like in our community. And they hope to provide forums where the concerns of sexual assault and harassment survivors will be heard. And uh, we are uh, talking with several panelists on the program uh, today. We welcome in uh, Larry Hoffman, who's executive board chair for Utah Coalition Against uh, Sexual Assault. Larry Hoffman, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, and thank you for having us. Uh, Victoria Petro, uh, Petro Eschler manages uh, Salty Cricket Composers Collective and uh, joins us. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And uh, Kylie Rodriguez Cairo uh, joins us as well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. We appreciate you being with us. We'll, I believe, be joined uh, a little later on here by uh, Turner Bitten, uh, UCASA Executive uh, Director. Let me start with uh, you, Larry Hoffman. I believe this was uh, your brainchild to have a uh, forum. Uh, what, uh, what was behind this? What would you want to do with this? So the idea was really um, started when I, quite frankly, was terrified that we would elect Roy Moore to the Senate. And in a moment of um, true disbelief that we could literally put uh, a man who has been accused by multiple survivors of sexual harassment and sexual assault in one of our highest offices in the land, it, it literally sickened me. Um, as a survivor myself, um, I felt like it was high time for people in Utah to be given a voice to speak out about their own experiences and keep some sort of momentum going in this movement all across the country, including Utah. So I uh, approached our executive director, Turner Bitten and said, Turner, we really need to do something. Uh, either way, if Roy Moore is elected to the Senate, I think people need to be able to express whatever they feel about that. Or if he is not elected, I think it's important that we start a conversation that can continue, not just in Salt Lake City, but across all of Utah. And so we will be holding conversations uh, throughout the year in different areas all across Utah to get different perspectives from both men and women on their experiences around sexual harassment and sexual assault. I think it's high time that we gave survivors a voice, a voice that they haven't ever been able to use before. Let me turn next to Victoria Petro Eschler. Um, um, Laurie Hoffman mentioned voice. That's a big part of this, right? Give, uh, give survivors, um, victims a, a voice that perhaps they haven't had before. There, there has been a sea change here, it seems like. I think even beyond the people we traditionally think of as victims, I think raising awareness and giving voice to those of us who have historically dealt with it and dealt with these kinds of um, harassments in workplaces and in our own families and in our places where we're trying to just relax and be humans, it's an important dialogue. I know when I posted my Me Too story, um, 
people don't traditionally think of me as someone who's a victim. And my own family said, well, you know, how can you say that this is an issue for you? You're, you know, you're, you're a woman who does what she wants, but that's not really the issue, is it? The issue is that we are equals and that we should be treating each other with dignity and respect. And if we don't have a Me Too moment that really resonates, that really changes the dialogue, then we can keep screaming equal rights all we want. We can keep saying that, you know, we respect each other. And the truth is we don't. We have to hash through this and we have to be uncomfortable for a few minutes while we talk about it. And in so doing, we are going to create a healthier space for people who are victims to come forward, for people who are trying to work through the things that happened to them, and for them to move forward and reclaim their life and their dignity in a healthy way. Let's turn next to Kylie Rodriguez Cairo. Uh, it's occurring to me as a man um, <laughs> the 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 prevalence. I'm I'm learning the prevalence of sexual harassment, for example, just what women have to deal with. I don't know if you uh, probably as a woman, you you know, women have probably been aware. Men perhaps have not. Yes, um, and I think I think that women have been aware, but I think that we accepted a lot of that behavior for a long time. Um, and I think both men and women have been uh, conditioned and culturalized to think that some of that behavior is normal. Um, so when you're talking about the workplace, sexual harassment, things like that, we've been conditioned to say, okay, that's not sexual assault. Um, but with the Me Too movement, we're being able to say, okay, no, we don't have to accept this, and we need to change our attitude to that. Uh, we welcome in uh, Turner Bitten, uh, Executive Director of Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Welcome to the program, Turner. Thanks for having me. I was just, uh, just expressing, Turner, I, I, you probably have a different perspective being Executive Director of UCASA. Um, I, I'm, I'm learning some things. I'm learning the prevalence of this. I had not been aware, I guess, as, as a man. I wonder what your thoughts are. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we know about sexual assault and sexual harassment in general is that it impacts everyone, um, that it starts with the victimization of an individual person, and that it really does have a ripple effect from there. Um, we've got, you've got the entire secondary survivor team, so we have a loved one, the family, the friends, the colleagues, the support network of a survivor who also are impacted by the assault or harassment. And then you have the broader community. Um, that are impacted by sexual assault and harassment. I don't know uh, a single man in my life who hasn't at some time been attacked or um, bullied or belittled based on rigid gender norms and stereotypes. Um, I don't know a single woman in my life who hasn't experienced sexual harassment um, based on appearance, um, based on gender, and... Uh, what we have to realize is that this issue impacts everyone. That this is a societal issue, um, that sexual harassment and assault are serious issues, and what we say and do about it matters. Let me turn next to Laurie Hoffman, uh, who again is executive board chair for uh, Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Uh, I mentioned there's, and I think we all agree, there's been a sea change. There, there has been a shift, a societal shift. Uh, I wonder... What's your hopes for this? Obviously that it stays, right? That it, there's 
that there isn't consumed by a backlash or whatever. Um, beyond that, what, uh, what do you hope happens? Well, I hope that women can go to work, can be out in the community, can simply walk down a street and not experience any kind of harassment. I also hope that both men and women, if they do experience sexual harassment or sexual assault, will now feel comfortable in coming forward and speaking about their experience and not keeping it to themselves or only telling family members. I think the days of being embarrassed by sexual harassment or sexual assault or feeling like it was your fault or feeling like you will not be believed if you speak out and speak up are over. And it's my hope with this next generation that they are not going to experience what many of us in, I'm, I'm middle-aged, um, have experienced for years and years and really literally not been able to do anything about. So it's my hope that this movement will bring about a change, a fundamental change to society in the way that we treat each other as human beings. Victoria uh, Petro Eschler, you mentioned before that uh, your, your friends and family maybe were surprised when you came forward with your story. So you a strong woman, and that, that's, those two things shouldn't necessarily be in opposition, right? But I guess, I think, I think we have Not had that, that view. <laughs> well, it goes back to what Laurie was just saying about it, the onus is on the person who's perpetrating the behavior to regulate him or herself, to be appropriate. Um, you know, I, it took me a long time to admit that this happened to me when I was a young 20-something-year-old. I was in a religious culture that was, you know, kind of predisposing me to take responsibility if I wore a shirt that was slightly too tight or a skirt that was too short, that I had encouraged this sort of attention. The truth is I was a young 20-year-old girl who was vulnerable to a boss who kind of used our workplace like his domain. Whether or not I'm strong, whether or not I have issues that I'm dealing with outside of work, it doesn't matter. He did not treat me in a way that was dignified, that was worthy of respect, and he needs to be held to account for that. Uh, let me stay with you for follow-up, uh, Victoria. Um, held to account um, in in what way? I, I think in you know some prominent uh, you know celebrities uh, have had their careers, I guess, diminished or, or damaged. That's that's a result. That's a consequence. Um, in some cases, I suppose legal consequences. What do, what what consequence would you like for for example, this gentleman? Uh, in my particular case, when I did raise this with the people above him, um, it was a faith-based nonprofit organization at the time. And um, when I was there, they told me he had two kids and a wife, and that he had been with the organization for 15 years, and kind of gave me that standard response. It wasn't until there was another woman of color who came after me who experienced similar treatment in his hands who actually took legal action against the organization and threatened a class action lawsuit that they finally reshuffled him to a new position within the nonprofit. I think there are probably people with deeper insights, and the idea of recourse and accountability is a much larger dialogue that needs to be more nuanced. But I know that what happened here probably isn't 
the best that we can do as a culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kylie Rodriguez, uh, Cairo, what would you say to uh, just being heard? It's it's uh, we had a story, for example, it's just broke recently uh, here at uh, USU at uh, a woman. Um, who reported a, a sexual assault that happened uh, several years ago? She said she reported and wasn't she felt didn't uh, wasn't taken seriously. Um, well, you know, I think that's the importance of the Me Too movement. Um, I'm a survivor as well. I've been open about my experience for um, three, four years now, and this year is the first time where I'm actually being heard. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of that pushback, a lot of the victim blaming, um, you know, anything to find fault with the victim, your clothing, your attitude, where you are. Um, and I think that I think that being heard is such an important step, and it's kind of the foundational step. Um, and I'd like to see the Me Too movement kind of move towards the fringe. Um, so who are we missing in this conversation who hasn't been heard yet? Um, you know, for example, disabled women, women of color, Native American women. Um, I want to start hearing those stories. So uh, follow up with you, Kylie. Um, you, you say it wasn't until this year you felt like you could come forward. Is that because you felt like now you would be heard, you'd be believed? Um, yes. Yeah, so I actually, I came forward about four years ago. Um, I've been very open about it. I'm a writer. Um, but I faced so much backlash um, from people I didn't know, from family members, from friends. Um, and it just felt so divided. Um, but now, now that the Me Too movement is happening, it's, hey, I had that experience too. It's a lot of empathy and a lot more compassion um, and a lot more women realizing that they had these experiences. I've seen a lot of people who um, hear my story or hear parts of it, and they're like, well, I didn't realize that that was sexual assault. Or I didn't realize that was harassment. And that's really important because that's showing that there's a cultural change and a shift happening. Hmm. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about this a very important discussion. Uh, a, um, a town hall was recently held um, in Salt Lake City, focusing on the Me Too campaign, the impact and future of the Me Too movement. And organizers say it's time for Utahns to come together to discuss the future of our community, to give survivors an opportunity to define what progress looks like for our community. I just want to create, uh, quote this as well. This is from that uh, town hall program. This is quoting Tarana Burke, creator of the Me Too campaign. She says, it wasn't built to be a viral campaign or a hashtag that is here today and forgotten tomorrow. It was a catchphrase to be used from survivor to survivor to let folks know that they were not alone and that a movement for radical healing was happening and possible. And uh, we are seeing at least some of the fulfillment of that nowadays. We're talking about it. Uh, you're welcome to tell your story. We'd love to have you with your comment to your story, your question for the panel. You can reach us at upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. Or you can call us to 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. More following this break. 
Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Several Utah-based organizations, including the Rape Recovery Center and Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault, recently hosted a town hall conversation focusing on the impact and future of the Me Too movement. And uh, they hope, they say, to provide a forum where the concerns of sexual assault and harassment survivors would be heard. And uh, we're seeking to participate today. We're talking with several panelists, including Turner Bitten, uh, Executive Director of Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault. We're talking with Laurie Hoffman, Executive Board Chair with the Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Victoria Petro Eschler, who manages uh, Salty Cricket Composers Collective. And uh, Kylie Rodriguez Cairo joins us as well. We hope that you will. Um, as well, if you have a story, if you have a question or comment, you can reach us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. What do you think about the Me Too movement, this cultural change and the future, and uh, how it affects you personally? Uh, upraxcess at gmail.com. Or you could call us toll-free to 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. I want to turn next to uh, Turner Bitten, who is UCASA's executive director. Uh, Turner, uh, have uh, requests for services increased? Has that been a result of the U2, or the, not the, uh, the, the Me Too movement? Uh, absolutely. That's something that we see uh, nationwide is that with any social movement like the Me Too campaign, Anytime that there is survivor-led activism and advocacy going on in a very public sense and even in a private sense, um, we see a significant increase in calls to both crisis lines, to drop-ins at rape recovery programs. Um, I can speak specifically to the Rape Recovery Center's data uh, because I'm most familiar with it, although I do know that CAPSA uh, has also seen an increase. But what we've seen in Salt Lake County and at the Rape Recovery Center is an 84% increase in October of 2017 over October of 2016. And that trend is continuing and holding steady. Um, the other thing that we've seen is just an increase in folks looking for resources that maybe aren't necessarily survivors, um, but that are family members of survivors, these secondary survivors and folks that make up the support network of survivors. We've seen a significant number of them coming forward, particularly particularly to our organization, asking how they can help, how they can get engaged, uh, and what they can do to, to support survivors. 84% increase year, year month to month over month, year to year. That's, and you say that's been sustained. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, it's it's really been uh, what I would describe as a watershed moment. Um, and, and what we hope uh, with the Me Too movement is as this continues, um, as the Me Too movement grows, as it evolves, as it changes, as it becomes more inclusive, as it becomes more diverse, um, that it creates more space for survivorship, that it puts survivors front and center of this movement, and that it leads to lasting policy change. Um, I'm particularly aware that right now is the Utah legislative session, and we have a lot of work to do. Uh, just last week, a uh, House panel or House committee, the House Judiciary Committee, advanced a piece of legislation that undermines our ability to serve survivors. Um, so as positive as the Me Too movement has been, we also need to find a way, both as an agency as an, and as a community, to harness this power um, to harness these stories and to, to work with survivors through survivor-led activism to change the laws of this country, to advance a public policy agenda, and to create lasting change in our communities. 
Lori Hoffman, I want to uh, I want to talk about the political climate. You said that's the, the that was your impetus for Roy Moore. The possibility yeah. of his election was the impetus for this this uh, latest town hall. Um, so it's kind of a mixed message, right? There have been consequences for some politicians. Um, of course, the president has been uh, accused of sexual harassment, and he's he's still there, and um, and he has made some comments that. Uh, maybe you would not consider helpful to the to the cause absolutely not and um, unfortunately I think we will see those kinds of comments continue from him um, which isn't helpful to survivors um, I think as the president it's his responsibility to actually put forth a positive message in regards to this issue and um, I, I just don't think he's doing anyone any favors by continually denying his own behavior, as well as um, saying very nasty and um, undignified things about survivors. Um, at some point, that has to change. And I don't know when or if that change will come from him, but hopefully other uh, men who are in positions of power will get the message that this kind of behavior will no longer be tolerated. Uh, let me follow up again with Laurie Hoffman. Um, uh, do you think that this is, has a tendency to become a partisan issue? Um, Democrats seem to, the national level, seem to be doubling down on this, preparing to run, uh, try to smear the Republicans as the party against women. Uh, the, of course, the president has made some problematic uh, remarks. Other Republicans have tried to, you know, uh, to adhere to the Me Too movement. Do you, do you see this turning partisan? And if so, is there a danger there? I would certainly hope that this does not become a partisan issue because this is not necessarily a partisan problem. This affects all of society whether you're Republican or Democrat or white or a minority or LGBTQ or straight, this is a completely nonpartisan issue, and turning this into a partisan issue is just plain wrong. Um, this is a human issue. This is an issue about respect and dignity and people feeling safe in the workplace, safe in their... Um, whatever their social circle might happen to be, uh, safe in society in general. And I am hopeful that this will not become a partisan issue. Um, it most certainly should not be. Victoria Petro-Eschler, you mentioned earlier you'd made a, a, just a brief allusion to the religious culture, of which I guess you were a part at that time. Do you, do you think there are specific Utah aspects to, to this problem and potential future and solutions? wasn't in Utah, and it wasn't oh, okay. the dominant religious practice here. Um, but I do see a lot of similarities between the dominant religious practices here and where I was. And, you know, I'm, not, I'm still not someone who's been able to leave her faith behind. I still um, have a vibrant personal faith life. Um, but as I'm raising my little girl, I do see that there were some practices that allowed me to not recognize this for what it was. And so even as I pass my faith traditions on to my young, my children, I am, 
careful about how I speak about things. I am not making it my daughter's responsibility for boys to control their impulses. That's not a thing. She is responsible for preserving her own dignity and presenting herself in a way that she wants to be understood. But the boys are responsible for controlling their impulses. And so I, I am... I am recognizing in the culture that I am in right now some similarities that do concern me greatly. What you just said, uh, that's, a, that's a key point, isn't it? I think, I think culturally, maybe separating it out to this point from religion, culturally, that's kind of been uh, an attitude, right? Um, that women are, are responsible for controlling men's behavior, not men. Correct. <laughs> and, and do you see that and, changing? You're trying to inculcate that, uh, you know, in your family, but so I'm I'm the mother of three young children, uh, first uh, first grade, a three year old girl, and an eighteen month old little boy, and then we've adopted a teenager. And our dialogue in our home is very different. And I know that our friends who are raising young people, their dialogue is changing too. I have friends who sit on their school community councils to eliminate. Um, gendered readings of what is considered modest in school and and creating dress codes that actually are equitable and place the responsibility on all parties. I have friends who are just being more body positive and more open with their kids and not afraid to use proper terminology for body parts so that we are able to have a more transparent dialogue going forward that allows our kids to wrestle with these issues in a healthy way, um, and hopefully not in a way that follows some of the trauma that generations before have had to endure. Hmm. Carly Rodriguez Cairo, I want, I want to read a, uh, a little uh, paragraph from the Salt Lake Tribune. This was on the Ukaza website. This is, uh, her name is Amanda. Amanda told the Tribune she was sexually harassed by a man on a tracks train who rubbed himself against her while making small talk. Shocked, she didn't know what to do. She never asked him to stop. She never called the cops. I just let him, she said. It's only recently it occurred to me, says Amanda, that it's on him. It's, it's, it's him, not me, that, I, that should have acted differently. There's no way that I'm going to be mad at myself anymore. Hearing and reading other women's stories, I realized that I would never think that they didn't react properly. So I shouldn't be mad at myself anymore. That's, that's kind of an interesting dichotomy, right? If, if, you, if uh, Amanda was presented with another woman's story, she would not blame them. But in, in her own mind, uh, she, I guess, had been blaming herself, at least per- placing some of the blame on herself. Now, I guess, lately, she's not doing that. I guess that is positive effect of, of stories coming forward, story after story after story. Yeah. Um, and I think that every survivor has that experience at first of self-blame, um, doubt, and guilt, and shame. And that's a natural part of that process. I mean, most people who experience sexual assault or sexual harassment experience some form of post-traumatic stress. Um, and that that's, almost one, that's one of the number one symptoms of it is that kind of that blame. Um, but I think that with the Me Too movement, with everyone telling their stories, it's allowing people to um, see it outside their perspective. And isn't that kind of how a lot of things work as far as advice. Um, a lot of people give advice, but they can't take their own advice. It's very similar where, you know, now that you can see, oh, it's very normal to freeze. It's normal to fight. It's normal to um, fawn. 
and act polite throughout the situation. Um, being able to see all those situations and that normal trauma response um, is super important. And I think it's super important for, uh, you know, how you deal with it afterwards. Um, carrying that shame and that guilt is really horrible for your mental health. Um, and the Me Too movement has provided some healing in that regard, I think. Mm. Uh, Turner Bitten. I think that attitude that we sometimes have had, I think, has been pretty pervasive that, well, why didn't she act, re- react with outrage right in the moment? That can have an effect, uh, you know, if you bring a legal case or report it later. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, well, one of the things that I want to remark on is that the vast majority of survivors know the person um, that is assaulting them. Um, or that's harassing them. They are colleagues, they're friends, they're family members, um, they're acquaintances, and that level of knowledge or that level of closeness puts victims at a unique level of vulnerability uh, because it is unexpected, because you don't expect this behavior from people that you're close with or that you know. Um, and we, we've created kind of this false dichotomy in the way that we talk about stressful situations and that we say fight, flight, a uh, fight or flight, um, and what that's done is it puts survivors in this position of having to defend their own actions after an assault. So we say, well, why didn't you fight back, um, or or why didn't you do this or this? And it goes back to what Victoria said about not making survivors accountable for the behavior of the person who's assaulting them. Uh, what we need to do as a society is recognize that uh, stress, and in this case, trauma, impacts each of us differently and similarly. Um, we're all unique individuals. The way that we interact with trauma and with stress is different. But at the end of the day, our brain is hardwired to respond to trauma and to stress in a way that is uniquely human. And that what we've come to know as we've studied the neurobiology of trauma is that there is fight, flight, and freeze. That there's this phenomenon known as tonic immobility that leaves survivors in a position where many of them freeze during the assault. They don't fight back. They don't stop uh, because their body is responding in a way that paralyzes them. Um, I would also add that appeasement is a large part of this, that many folks try to survive the circumstance, and that is completely normal. There is no blame. There is no shame that should come along with being victimized. Um, either by sexual assault or harassment. Um, I want to add, as we have this conversation, that this is likely triggering for folks that are listening. Um, There are probably folks who are listening to this conversation who feel very triggered. And what my message to them would be is that there is an entire community of advocates, of people who care about you, who support you, who want to see you get the justice and the healing that you deserve. Um, And if you are out there and you're listening and you need support or resources, please go to yukasa.org slash resources. We have a mobile application that we actually just launched on Friday that has information on the trauma response, on the medical side of an assault, on all of these various topics that we've talked about. It's called You Are a Survivor. It's available on the, app, the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. It can be downloaded directly to your phone. And we hope that it can be a source of information and resources for you as you move through your own process. We want you in control of this process. 
And uh, again, there's an entire community here to support you. Yukasa.org slash resources, place to go? Yes. Yeah. Uh, certainly. I was just going to ask you about uh, triggers. This, I mean, the whole movement, I guess, we triggered. A discussion like we're having today can be a trigger, uh, but I guess in the end it could be positive if someone gets the, the help they need. Yes. And, and we understand um, that, that triggers are a real thing and that in a large way our society has kind of trivialized triggers. Um, you know, the, the, the words trigger warning are used as a joke a lot of times, but what I would encourage uh, listeners to do is to be mindful of how personal a sexual assault is, that it impacts all parts of your identity, all parts of your biology, and every part of who you are as a person, and that that kind of boundary violation, of personal violation, of assault and harassment uh, really does impact us very, very deeply, and that someone who's triggered may not respond in a way that we understand. And in the mobile application, um, there's also a section for friends and family or for loved ones and secondary survivors um, that helps them understand and that provides information on how to deal with this very complex and very frustrating situation that your loved one may be in. Um, and, and the app has resources and information there. So we hope that not only survivors, but also secondary survivors will utilize the app um, and take advantage of the resources there. Lori Hoffman, before we go to break, I just want to uh, talk about how recent this is. This is this is October, right, of, of last year. But it, it seems like we're living in a whole new era in many positives. Uh, I wonder if it feels like that to, to you. And do you think there will be a, a generational change that comes out of this? Well, I certainly hope so. Um, my hope is that um, young people viewing this will say, I don't have to put up with this. I don't have to tolerate this kind of behavior. And realize that there are resources available to them to help them get help if they do experience anything like this. My generation was taught to be quiet, that it was our fault, that if we hadn't done X, Y or Z, this would not have happened to us. Uh, personally, I experienced a sexual assault when I was 21 years old and never spoke about it until I was 46. Um, until the Me Too movement in October, I had never talked about the fact that I was sexually harassed by my boss when I was 27 years old. So I was part of a generation that was taught to be silent. And thank heaven we don't have to be silent any longer. What's been really unbelievable is the number of women who've come forward, women that I've known for many, many years, decades, and have said, I was assaulted, I was harassed. And we never spoke about it even with each other. We kept a code of silence. And hopefully that code of silence is now broken. Let me, I'd like to give perspective on this specific question from Victoria and Kylie as well. First with Victoria Petro Eschler. Uh, do you see this as, uh, uh, it seems like a really, really big shift, um, a, a, a seismic shift. Um, I wonder if you see it that way, and and uh, what's going to happen from here? I'm hopeful that it is. Um, I think it needs to be. Um, even though my, my story is similar to Laurie, um, I was, you know, a, a young 20s, optimistic, working in a field that I really passionately loved. 
and someone just thought that he was his impulses were more important than my dignity, my presence. Um, and while I feel like I was able to cope with that and I'm able to put it in its place and I'm able to do what I need to do, if someone does it to my daughter when she's a young, optimistic woman in her field, I, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure I would control my impulses as a, you know, as a woman from the East Coast. I don't want my daughter to face that. So I'm, I'm banking on this being seismic. I'm putting my energy behind it being seismic because it has to change. I'm not willing to let my daughter, my sons, even my teenager. So the time is now. I need this to be a seismic change. Carly Rodriguez Cairo, um, this seems to be, the intent seems to be a, a big cultural shift. I wonder if you worry about a backlash. Do you think this is going to be lasting? Uh, backlash in in what regard? Well, uh, back, you know, you uh, we're hearing. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing little whispers here and there on on the internet and and so forth, of saying that that they've, it's gone too far. You know, uh, the president's comments. Uh, there's no due process. You know, that kind of thing for the, for the men. Yeah, you know. I don't I don't believe that the Me Too movement um, that there's backlash with it. I think that there's consequences, um, and I think that the the folks who think it's backlash or maybe um, uncomfortable with the changes happening, Um, you know, uncomfortable with having to take responsibility for their actions or uncomfortable with family members or friends, um, you know, being accused of this stuff that maybe 20 years ago wasn't seen as sexual harassment, even though it was. Um, I think that any kind of movement like this is going to be uncomfortable. Um, I think there's going to be people who who fight it. Um, but I think I think with the Me Too movement, there's a power of community. Um, you know, it's not just individuals telling their stories. It's individuals telling their stories and coming together and trying to make something better. So, of course, there's going to be backlash, but I don't think that it's going to amount to anything. Let's take another break when we come back more with our panel, which includes Turner Bitten, who is UCASA Executive Director, Laurie Hoffman, UCASA Executive Board Chair, Victoria Petro Eschler, manages uh, Salty Cricket Composers Collective, and Kylie Rodriguez Cairo. Uh, several Utah based organizations uh, recently held a uh, town hall conversation focusing on the impact and future of the Me Too movement. That's our discussion today. You can join it here. Hope that you will if you have a story or comment or question. Uh, upraccess at gmail.com is the email, upraccess at gmail.com. Or you could call us toll-free, 800-826-1495. More following this. Thanks for uh, listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Um, and we are talking about the Me Too movement, specifically uh, relating it to Utah and several Utah-based organizations, including the Rape Recovery Center and Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault, recently hosted a town hall conversation focusing on the impact and future of the Me Too movement. Organizers say it's time for Utahns to come together and discuss the future of our community to give survivors an opportunity to find what progress looks like for our community. And we're talking with Turner Bitten, who is Executive Director and Laurie Hoffman, Executive Board Chair of Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault. We're talking with Victoria Petro Eschler, who manages Salty Cricket Composers Collective, and with uh, we're also talking with Kylie Rodriguez Cairo. Let me uh, just quote this from a 
a interview proposal. I get these uh, from time to time from uh, people wanting to come on the show, talking about various uh, topics. And this one, they're offering a an expert, quote-unquote, um, who wants to talk about maybe what she is seeing as some of the downsides of the Me Too movement. Um, I just want to quote a couple of these bullet points and then have us uh, discuss this. Um, and it'll start with Turner Bitten on this. And so uh, one of the, and I've heard this in other circles as well, as, as a complaint. Uh, people acknowledge the great good that the Me Too movement is doing. Some minority, some uh, small number of people are, are complaining. For example, that many men are now reluctant to work with women, whether consciously or not, are avoiding them. Uh, men are becoming too self-conscious, walking on eggshells, afraid to accidentally offend. Uh, men being vilified for behaviors they might have done years ago, and it's ruining their careers. Um, so on the first two uh, points, um, people walking on eggshells or maybe trying to, and especially on the side of men, uh, turn a bit and maybe tr- trying to navigate a whole new uh, world, which has many, many positive aspects. Yeah, I, I think this is this is something that is a cause for greater self-reflection. Um, certainly, I think men have interacted with the Me Too movement uh, vastly differently than than women have interacted with the Me Too movement. But nonetheless, what we have always tried to do at the Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault is to focus on the shared impact that sexual assault and harassment have. Um, I mentioned earlier in my initial comments that I don't know a single man in my life who has not been harassed or belittled based on rigid gender norms. Um, and you see this all the time, um, whether it's on a football team or a sports team, and one person, uh, God forbid, cries that their grandma died of cancer, and that all of a sudden they're picked on for being weak, for being vulnerable, for being emotional, um, and they're bullied for that kind of behavior because quote, women are the emotional ones, and men aren't supposed to show emotion. Um, But I also want to point out that the vast majority of men are not the problem. That cultural norms, that societal pressure, in a lot of cases, uh, disempowers men as much as it disempowers women. Um, We can't escape our own accountability as men, and I think it's important as the Me Too movement moves forward that we all have a conversation, that we all do some self-reflection about the ways that we have contributed uh, to this culture that is predatory and that that does harm members of our community. I look at my own actions. I look at my own background and my own history. I, I'm sure many of your male listeners uh, are, are familiar with this thought that Many folks, um, and, and this was an interesting conversation that I was having with female colleagues the other day, that when the Me Too movement really rose to national prevalence, um, my female colleagues told me they immediately started thinking of the ways that they had experienced victimization, that they had been harassed, that they had been assaulted, um, the ways that they felt that based on their gender as women, that they were belittled by our society. And I shared with them that I immediately started thinking of my own actions and what I've maybe done in my past, um, the ways that I've contributed to uh, the the culture that we have. Certainly, I look at my own actions. um, Even 10 years ago, uh, when I I had a friend of mine that came forward to me 
and told me that she had been assaulted. And my very first question was, what did you do? And I got it so wrong in that moment that now I, I look back, and if I could go back in time, I would completely change the way that I responded in that moment. And I think what is so important for male listeners out there in particular is to realize that we are victimized as well by this culture, that we are victimized when the women in our lives are victimized and are sexually harassed and degraded based on their gender, um, we are victimized as well. That at the end of the day, everyone has a role to play in solving this issue. And again, the vast majority of men are not the problem. The vast majority of men work every single day alongside women without harassing them, without assaulting them. And, but we all have ownership in the culture that is a reflection of our values and our norms as people. And what we want to do, what I fundamentally believe, is that the Me Too movement is a big tent, that there is room for everyone to engage in this issue, to get involved, and to start fixing the fundamental problems that have led to the Harvey Weinsteins, that have led to the Kevin Spaceys, because all of us have a role to play in solving this problem. We just have about uh, three minutes left, and maybe give a, a minute each to uh, each of our remaining panelists to uh, to, to sum up uh, anything you'd like to, to pick from our discussion or, or look to the future. First, uh, Laurie Hoffman. Um, please uh, check out the UCASA website on a regular basis. We will be having more Me Too discussions in other parts of the state. Uh, we believe it is very important that we keep this conversation going. And we believe it's very important that we actually go into the rural areas as well, because I think those are voices that are extremely underrepresented. So check with our site often, and uh, don't be afraid to speak up. The time is now, and we shouldn't be ashamed. We shouldn't be uh, under the false notion that somehow it was our fault. Uh, this is our moment, this is our time, and this is a time to have a dialogue and to make positive societal change. Victoria Petro-Eschler, uh, your uh, final comments. Um, I would just like to caution people against thinking that the answers and responses to this are simple or going to be time-oriented. This is a long-term thing we need to engage in as a community. And as someone who admires the work of UCASA and the Rape Recovery Center but isn't exactly in those same trenches, I feel like I'm building community so that young people, families have a safe place to come and to communicate with this. And so to my peers in the community who are in similar situations of not being directly in those trenches, please don't shy away from this. Join in the work of UCASA by creating community around you that is safe, that is a place where people can express themselves and participate at high levels and where the expectation is high for our behavior to one another. Before we give the final word to Kylie Rodriguez Cairo, we have a quick uh, comment. Uh, Mercedes from Price has called us. Uh, glad you called, Mercedes. Go ahead. Hi. So um, I really, <clears throat> so um, being a rape survivor myself, I think that it's you know, really good that there's things that people can do to get help. Um, what I would, you know, like to see more of is, you know, in smaller communities, a way where there's, you know, more support or a way to reach out. Um, where I'm from, it's a lot of, you know, the whole town judges you because they all have their own opinion. 
um, even if, you know, there's, they know that it happened, but they still want to name you the crazy person in town or that, you know, it's been four years and you still supposedly have lied about what's happened and just know that there's different places that you can get help, you know, the resources, and we don't really have that where I'm living. Hmm. Well, hopefully we can connect you. I don't know if you could connect with Yukaza, get to Salt Lake. I'm not sure, uh, Turner, what uh, the the options are in price. Uh, yeah, Mercedes. Um, I, If it's okay with you, I would like to invite you to reach out to me directly. We are working right now on a project uh, to actually expand service delivery in areas like Price that currently don't have a lot of services. And I would love to have you involved in the conversations about how that develops to help us make our victim services as responsive and as, as accessible as possible. So my contact information is available on our website. I would love to have you reach out and let's have a conversation about how we can bring comprehensive services to your community. And Mercedes, if you'd stay on, if you'd, uh, stay on the line, we'll connect you with Turner here after the program. Oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, th- thanks for thanks for sharing your story, Mercedes, and 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 good You're luck welcome. to you. Hope, hope you get the help that you need. Uh, thank you for sharing. We'll give the the last word here today to Kylie Rodriguez Cairo. What's uh, what would you sum up the conversation as? Well, you know, in line with what Mercedes said, I think that um, I just want to reiterate how important it is to make sure that um, the Me Too movement is more inclusive. Um, people in rural areas disabled women and men, um, women of color, making sure that that Me Too movement and that that platform and ability to have a voice in this movement is given to people who haven't, um, who haven't had that voice in a lot of respects. Um, and then I also just, you know, want to encourage people to build community. Um, I'm more <laughs> in the grassroots activism an organization part of Salt Lake City, and that's just, it's so important. Um, You meet so many people who can change your life, who can connect you to resources, and building that community, especially if you feel lonely or you're in an area that, um, you know, maybe there's a lot of victim blaming um, or not a lot of people coming forward, taking that initiative to build that community is so important and I promise you other people will come forward when they know it's safe. Well, we'll continue this discussion, of course, and uh, after the program, we'll, uh, we'll connect Mercedes with uh, Turner get some services there. Um, our uh, thanks to our panelists uh, today, Kylie Rodriguez Cairo, uh, Victoria Petro Eschler, Laurie Hoffman, and Turner Bitten. Thanks to each of you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. And uh, uh, more town hall conversations coming, focusing on this important topic, the uh, future of the Me Too movement. Uh, Thanks for listening to Access Utah today.